Welcome to Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. My name is Madeline Turner with three E's, uh, actually, and I am joined by my bosom best friend, my best bosom friend with also three E's, Rebecca Botter. Hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little, um, you can tell by my voice. I honestly, I think I started off the first episode of our first season and I was sick. I would say you were sick like three out of 15 episodes easily. Yeah. Yeah. Easily sick three out of 15 episodes, which is I would say I don't love that it's part of my brand, but it no. it's just part of who I am. I've got large porous tonsils that bacteria just loves to crawl in. Do you want to hear something funny? Yeah. When you were introducing yourself, I was expecting you to say, I'm Rebecca Botter. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Oh, I'm Rebecca I'm Botter. Botter. That's, That's me. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> So, Rebecca, how are you doing? I'm good. You're good? Are you excited to start season two? I am. I'm excited to be back. I think it's been... I want to say it's been too long, but I don't think it's been too long. I think it's been just long enough. It feels exactly right. And I don't think there could be anything more right than the topic of today's podcast. Mm -hmm. I feel like... um, Best friends, sickness, health, um, new beginnings, Mm -hmm. uh, very much in theme with our, the, the, the subject of our lonely girls episode and the, the media that we consumed, um, for this podcast episode and, and Shirley of Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables. So how... Season two came about. It's been a journey. I was out in LA. We stockpiled some really cool episodes that we will be sharing. But as recording season two kind of became more clear, it was on its way. I kind of had this thought. I was like, oh, I kind of want the first episode to be with just the girls. girls. Like, I just want it to be us. And I was like, but I mean, we have some really big episodes that are like going to be cool to launch season two with. So that's okay. And then I was like, no, I just miss the girls. I I like, and we're going to release them. We're so excited. Oh yeah. And they're amazing episodes and you guys are going to love them so much with amazing guests. Amazing. But, but. It was the task of finding a subject that would be worthy of our season two premiere. Mm-hmm. And we were sort of talking about what we could do instead. And it was this almost like a mind meld where like we both came to the conclusion at the exact same time mm-hmm. where it's like, 
we have to do Anne of Green Gables. And it was, I think we got, y'all have not suggested anything as much as you have suggested Anne of Green Gables. When I pitched Lonely Girls as a concept to my mother, the first person that she said Anne of Green Gables. And I think we were always going to cover it, but just season one, since we started out the gate with like Frances Hodgkin Burnett, it just like absolutely was just kind of like, no, like we get it, but no, no. And then all of a sudden we were talking about like friendships and relationships and we were just like Anne of Green Gables. And then at first we were like, and other dynamic friendships. And then we were like, no, it's like, it's like we need just like, we need to tackle Anne Shirley mm-hmm. and how much she embodies the true heart and soul, the living, breathing, like moving, that. lonely girl. Before we get into that, though, of course, yes. as always, for the, for the first time in so long, Rebecca, what was your lonely girl moment of the week? Okay, so I'm starting us off, and I'm starting us off like – pretty casually. I've already talked to Maddie about this. Um, It's more of like a concept, something I've introduced into my life, but I've started reading smut. And I think that's, (laughs) I think that's really lonely girl. Yes. And and I really suggest, I don't take suggestions very well. So if you want to tell me, we know I famously, (laughs) I famously take uh, suggestions very well as well. We okay. love just he- having people tell us what we should watch and, and read. And and it's just like, it, it's kind of like when people were telling us to do Anna Green Gables and I was like, no. We're like, I'm no. I'm so sorry, but you will probably, the audience will tell me to read something. I won't. And then four years later, I'll be like, wait, yeah. I finally read it and you'll get really mad at me. But yeah, I've, I started with Sally Thorne and then I moved on to Emily Henry. And I just want to like announce I'm reading Smut because I think like it is very Lonely Girl. Yeah. And it's not like single Lonely Girl. I just think it's awesome. And I'm really enjoying myself so much. I feel like Smut is just like so fun. Like you can take it anywhere. The thought that I could be like literally like at a park, just like reading it out, people getting railed. Um, But I think it's for smut is for the thinking girl Mm. and smut is for smart girls and smut is for lonely girls and smut is for everyone. Yes. Amen. Amen. Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, Maddie, I just want to say happy birthday. Her birthday was yesterday. And um, so because of that, she gets to be a little extra lonely. Maddie, I'm dying to hear about it. So like this year – this that I've I tend to like feel my years um not in like new like for me like my birthday is my new year's eve like my my years start and stop on my birthdays I would say my where I was on my birthday last year was when in like one of like the hardest most like treacherous difficult places of my life and and with with with, hanging out with Rebecca. I, this year has been like one of the hardest, probably the hardest year of my life. Like thus far, it's been the most, like I've, I've been at my lowest. It's been so hard. It's been so 
humiliating and painful and embarrassing and ugly and and alternately healing and magical and wonderful and i a week before my birthday i came down with a sickness so bad that i i had to like call my mom to like come and take care of me because it like got so bad and I spent a week just like a week feeling so lonely um, until until I was so sick. My I, my mom came and took care of me. I didn't feel as lonely when – thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for coming to take care of me. It was really wonderful. But being alone with my thoughts and being so exhausted that there's nothing more you can do – like you are, you're too tired to even distract yourself from your thoughts. Like it's just you and yourself and you're so sick and you're so like just alone and sad and stressed. And, and Maddie, I want to say she already from listening to a lot of Anne was sending me like a lot of like, like really like deep, like she was sending me like such like, the capacity of love inside me is infinite. And she was like tapping into this already very um, almost like realm of magical thinking already not sick yet. And I think from listening to Anne and then I think this took you like to the next level. It took me to a, it took me to a place where it was like, I was, I, I wouldn't say I'm like grateful I got sick, but I guess I probably am because was truly like a retreat um, where like the only way I was going to be able to like have the really, truly necessary, difficult conversations with myself and be able to like come out of it, like stay in that place long enough is being so ill I could do nothing else but that. But then, so like I I ended up getting better, thank goodness, and felt well enough literally. And then my birthday was going to be two days later. And so it's two days before my birthday. I have no plans. And so I just text like two of my really close girlfriends and I go, hey, would you guys happen to be free on Tuesday night? Like I I realized like I I really want to be – surrounded like at least like with people I love on my birthday evening because my impulse was just to be to like whatever I like I guess I'm just I guess I'm just like not gonna do my birthday Um, but if you listened to our birthday exactly exactly and I was like oh no I'm I'm setting myself up for success on my birthday by choosing to like be with people that I trust and they were like yes absolutely Um, And then I was like, okay, so they're just going to come over to my place um, and we're going to have drinks. We're going to hang out. Oh, I could probably also invite this person and this person and then texted three more people and all of them are able to come. And so I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So now I have like six people coming to this. This is kind of like a party now. I'm like, I'm like, oh, like. If I'm going to have, if I'm having a party, like 
who do I want there? So in, instead of like, instead of having a birthday just by myself, kind of like, you know, just going into the next year with like the, just a, you know, ah, okay, like this is what we're going to do. It ended up being my, like all my favorite, favorite, like most beautiful, wonderful, incredible women in my life all coming together and like getting to meet one another. And we just like had little cocktails and had cake and made friendship bracelets. And like, just, I, I, there was a moment where I was like getting like a glass of water and I was looking from my kitchen into like the living room space and just watching all my friends in these little groups, just talking with each other and enjoying one another's company. And I was so overwhelmed and I was so overcome with like joy and gratitude. And I said, and, and then I, I was like, excuse me, a moment for the birthday girl. I, I have an announcement to make, a birthday girl announcement. This is the best birthday I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love so much is that so many girls in that room knew why that was such a big thing to say because so many of them yeah. have experienced me absolutely losing it on my birthday because birthdays are so hard and having yeah. a birthday that was so so easy and beautiful and like just like pouring gratitude and and love and joy and like I just I could not be more proud of the people in my life and more like grateful that I get to know all of these people and that they love me enough that they get to like it it makes it allows me to love myself getting to see all the people that love me in one space. Yeah. And we say there's that saying that like you are maybe like the five people you spend the most time with or blah, blah, blah. And then you can kind of look at that and be like, be like, oh my gosh, I'm that like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. The, The thing, the only thing that was missing is that Rebecca wasn't there. She belonged there. Yeah. She said that she almost got, um, wonderful mads to facetime me but then it was kind of like gorilla cake singing like yeah and so she didn't get to facetime me and that meant a lot that's what i would have wanted yeah well speaking of girls being girls 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 and girls 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 let's talk about our little bestie and shirley so now i'm going to give you a little bit of a history of the writer of the Anne of Green Gables series, Lucy Maud Montgomery. Most of this information I got from a history channel from Canada, Trigger Warning Canada. Trigger Warning Canada. Um, Trigger Warning Canada. Um, It is from 1991. The quality is not great. And one of the first sentences about her was how incredibly lonely um, Maud was. And then a scholar says, she so wanted to be the hero of her own life, but she was the villain. Whoa. 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 I promise. Um, So she was incredibly lonely. Her mother died when she was two. And when her mother died, her father then left 
and left her. She didn't see him until she was 16. She regarded herself as an orphan. And then she was raised by her two very strict grandparents who were like very Victorian, very old school. And like Anne, she then disappeared into her own imagination. And this makes so much sense why everyone is like, she's Anne Shirley, but actually her childhood was very lonely and very isolated. And so as we often do, we try to rewrite um, hard things by writing it. She she wrote childhood in this beautiful golden way, mm. and she's trying to rewrite her own uh, childhood. Okay. When she was 16, her dad sends a letter to come with him to Prince uh, Albert Island. She was on mm. Prince Edward Island, Ooh. where the books are mostly placed, um, to come and stay with him and his new wife, where she was like the nanny, just like Anne was at a different uh, – at Like before, before the yeah. Mm -hmm. And major daddy issues because she wrote about him as if he was like a saint, like he could do no wrong. But if you Mm. look at what he did to her, he wasn't. And she blamed everything that went wrong on his wife, who sounds like she sucked. Mm. Um, After one year, she goes back to BVI um, and she never sees her dad again. So she goes to college. She goes to teach at school. Literally so many parallels. But then her grandmother gets sick and she has to go and take care of her grandmother. Once again – Anne rewrites that in her own stories of needing to take care of Morella, but it has a happier ending. Okay. And then she started to make some money from writing and she starts Anne when she was 31. Um, She wrote down a little, little idea once in a notebook, elderly couple applied to orphan asylum for a boy by accident gets a girl. And then she doesn't think about it. She picks up one of her books. She sees that little idea and goes, Hey, that's pretty good. And she writes, um, she writes Anne. So she writes it very easily, but no one cares about it. All the publishers send it back. And then she finds the manuscript in a hat box a couple of years later. And she's like, actually, no, this is pretty good. And um, sends it to an American publisher. And in 1908, so she's 34 now, the book is published. And they wanted a series um, even before the book came out. They're like, yeah, and we can turn this into a series, which we'll discuss this later. But it's interesting because she didn't write it to become a series. She wrote it as like a standalone book. As a standalone, but that publishing house is specialized in serials, which makes a lot of sense. And so when the average income for a woman was 300 a year, she made 7,000 in royalties. Whoa. Um, but Whoa. she was not well respected um, in literary circles, obviously, because she was popular. She was a girl and she wrote for children. So her reputation was that she was very similar to Anne, but until her journals in 1985 were released, uh, it showed that was not true. They were very dark and very personal, but Lucy wanted those to be seen. And she said to her family that she would put a hex on her family if they never released them. And at one point in the doc, the niece of hers is crying because she was so unkind about her family. And she was like, this doesn't seem like my aunt that I knew and loved um, because they uh, were not very kind. So she took, apparently she had like some very dark depressive spells and she was taking a sedative called Veronal, which is like a sleeping, relaxing thingy. And uh, the, the literally the niece is so kind. She's this old lady. And at the end, she's like, I just, if I could tell her anything, I just want to say like, thank you for everything you've done. Like there's so much tourism here and we love you and we're so proud of you. When literally like their point, like so kind and so sweet. But she really broke her family's heart when those um, diaries were released. 
And uh, now Varanol isn't even used. It was treated for agitation, anxiety, and insomnia. Insomnia, it was so easily abused, they don't prescribe it anymore. So anyways, one of my favorite parts about this mini doc is there is this man who is also a professor. And all of these women are like older, like in their 60s, 70s, wise women, like really processing. And they're like, wow, she went through so much. Her life was really difficult. And this man, let's call him, let's call him Randy. He, he, yeah. so for one, he was like, yes, in the journal, Randy re- revealed he, she was a very sexual woman. And I didn't really like that. And you're like, okay, Randy. And then later he's like, yeah. <laughs> and you could tell she was really uh, talented, but I just am disappointed in her because I think she could have really done more and gone deeper. And she did it. And this man is so annoying. And he's in this garden, and I just think Randy sucks. So the journals also came out that she was a very sexual being. She had four guys back-to-back, and they would propose to her, and then she would shoot them down, very much like the third book with Anne. There was one guy named Herman Laird who is she just liked him in a horny way, Ooh, not even in like yeah. a, she said his touches were thrilling, um, but he was lower class. So she said, nor. And then um, in 1903, Ewan McDonald, Presbyterian minister, um, they became secretly engaged. He was 40 and she was uh, 36, but they had to wait five years. So when he was 40, she was 36. They got married because her grandmother hadn't died yet. And they didn't get married until she died. It was a secret until then. And then on her wedding day, um, she wrote that she wanted to disappear and she felt like she was now a prisoner. So very sad. Oh my gosh. Um, but she did it because she wanted babies and she got them and she loved being a mom. Mm. Um, but as a minister's wife, she had a lot of responsibilities in the community and Ewan would not help. He never even read her books. Um, and uh, yeah, by the time she was 40... So in six years, she had written six and books. Then Whoa. World War One happened. That was very hard for her. And um, it had a huge impact on her writing. She writes in her journal, can there be a God? Can there be a God? Um, after reading about a bombing. And then what's interesting is her final book, Willa of Ingleside, is the only woman's Canadian account of the war from the home front and telling the story of the women holding things down together. And then um, post-war, her husband was very uh, experienced religious melancholia, which um, he believed once he was having these episodes that with predestination, that means like it's already decided who's going to heaven. And he was like, and I know I'm not going to go to heaven. And he'd be like doing these like little sing-songy weird songs like a little child. And she had to like keep him locked up so no one realized he was losing his mind. Gosh, And um, she had to keep it a secret. She wished she hadn't married him. And uh, then she wrote, so she said she wrote Sunshine to escape her world, but she regretted writing The Sunshine and she wished she would have been more real and her life was very sad. Wow. It was a little long, but it was interesting, right? Wow. That is so wild. So um, Maddie, did you, did you like it? Did you like my summary? Wow. I think knowing more about the author like when we did our franny our franny episode mm-hmm. when you know about her life experience it colors the writing and like the work so much more mm-hmm. and i think it's one of those things where you almost like i don't know if i wanted to know that about lucy maud montgomery 
but I, I also it makes it it makes a lot more sense and I think on like a personal level listen if we're talking about lonely girls and and how the but darkness that's girl. capable if you don't check your inner lonely girl and if you if you do not heal her and live and work with her you can become your own villain yeah and um, what a great quote but also i just think it speaks to how talented she like so talented mm. knowing that like she was struggling so much she was in such an unhappy marriage she had had such an unhealthy childhood and yet she was able to write about girlhood and childhood and love between children so beautifully like such, i like, think that means nuanced like so nuanced funny but and and like a, there is a, a like Anne of Green Gables is ultimately very sentimental, but it's mm. very funny and it's very self aware. So it's very and it and it has this like it's so crazy that she had so much vitriol for her family mm-hmm. and for the people in her life because it always feels like the Anna Green Gables books are never just about Anne. They're these textured sort of silly, even a character like Rachel Lynn, who over the course of three books gets turned into like a very dynamic, um, sympathetic, textured, layered human being, even though at the beginning she's presented as sort of just like a really annoying, nosy, neighbor well let me just so first let me just read a tiny little paragraph of how google summarizes the the story of the first book and then we can discuss our personal connections to it just in case y'all haven't like don't have never seen the canadian show no trigger warning canada trigger warning canada okay it tells this tale of a red-headed orphan girl named Anne Shirley who lives on Prince Edward Island. She gets adopted by Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, an elderly brother and sister duo who live on a farm called Green Gables. Anne brings unexpected adventure into their lives with her curiosity and imagination. Yeah, that is it. And that's, um, it really is it. Like, it's not like the point of Anne of Green Gables is for her to like, you know, go on a magical quest or like become this like, you know, famous, incredible writer. It's literally just a girl entering into many people's lives and her ability to grow and evolve and use the power of the innate power that her mind has for the collective good instead of like selfish uh, survival, how that leads her to experience life in a really robust and satisfying way. And I, I think she is so adored by people, but in a way that is so not a little princess. I no. think she's like a really good mix of um, – Sarah Crew and Mary Lennox, Mm. um, A Secret Garden and a Little Princess, because she is someone who has been rejected by the world, 
a tragedy, which feels very Mary Lennox, but yeah. then, in, but people gravitate towards, but I think it comes from a place of like when you want to be loved so badly. And I think she knows what it feels to need love. And then instead of being like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I can to be loved. Instead, she knows what it feels like to be lonely. And thus she offers her love to other people, which just like that, that is like the best. And, and she offers them like a new perspective on the world. Mm-hmm. And like you can tell some people think her really silly. Some mm-hmm. people think her really um, sort of, you know, she's just sort of like tromping through life and, uh, and disaster follows her. I think one of the things I love about the Anne books is like, how often she just messes up. Yes. And she tries so hard not to mess up. She tries, she never has the intent to do ill will, but she just, she, by the nature of her own impulsivity and romantic whims, gets into these messes that she then has to get herself out of. And I relate to that so hard. No, I don't know if it's Anne or unfortunately Davy, the universally worst character. Oh ever. my gosh. Davey, he's like the who, scrapy do of, of, uh, he's Canadian scrapy do. He is, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but one of them do say, I think it's actually Davy, where he says, I always learn my lesson. Um, like I won't do it again, but the problem is, is I keep messing up in different ways. Like yeah. I'll never mess up that way again. I'll never, but, I promise I'll never mess up that way again, but. But I'm still going to make other mistakes that have nothing to do with this one. But, um, Davy is almost like the antithesis of, and in the second book, they need another scrappy orphan. So we get two. Yeah. And one is a boy who in my head just has to have brown hair. They both have brown hair. And yeah. um, he just says, I want to know and like asks really infuriatingly annoying questions. I do and then he love just says mean things. I do love though. Like she, she describes it as like holding and kissing. Davy came and held and kissed her face. And mm-hmm. I imagine it being like a child, like, just coming up to you and grabbing your cheeks and being like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never mm-hmm. do it again. And that to me like is deeply endearing. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a little child like um, manipulating their way out of um, you being mad at them because they're so cute Bibby and being aware wants- of that. Yeah, it, it's it's very Biv. It's Biv energy. Bivy once um, came up to me crying and she said, I'm crying so you give me what I want. And oh. I was just like, I, it was so funny. That's a very, that, that would be a Davy move, honestly. That is such a Davy move. What, what was your intro to Anne? Oh, yes. So my intro to Anne, I like all things on this podcast is through my mother. My mm-hmm. mom, when I told Your my mom, mom is such an Anne Shirley, I think I, even more than I, was, I am. I was raised by Anne Shirley, basically. Absolutely. I I don't think I'm as much of an Anne uh, inherently, but like my mom is Anne Shirley 
in every, like so deeply, so deeply and surely. She read the books to me. I read the books by myself. We watched the BBC miniseries. Um, it would come up, it would play on PBS all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be like on like a Sunday night and they'd be having like an Anne of Green Gables marathon. Mm-hmm. So we'd watch that a lot. Um, and oh, and the cartoon series would play every single Sunday. So like after church, if I was turning on the TV, it would always be Anne of Green Gables. And so mm-hmm. that was like a real, I think she was just always there and I always really loved her. And when I was a teenager, I I have a, like, I just sort of re- found her again when I was like 16 or 17 and listened to the books, like the audio books. And I was cleaning houses at the time. And I have this really visceral memory of one of the houses I used to clean was this really old house in this really kind of like historic neighborhood in Long Beach. Um, And I was listening to Anne of Green Gables while I was like dusting these like oak cabinets and like cleaning this like, you know, old kitchen floor. Mm. Um, And it, it, I, it felt, I felt so like embodied in the world. Like I felt so deeply entrenched in it. And yeah, just really fell in love with Anne. And and I think every time I come back to it, I'm reminded of how valuable perspective is Mm. and how easy it is to be joyful and find joy and how delightful and genuinely delightful that is for other people, not just for yourself. She does find a lot of joy, but also... um but she's not a Pollyanna because also Anne goes to the depths of despair at so deeply. She also has a terrible temper. So it's it's not just regulated. And I love that. And she feels so strongly about everything, which is so childlike, but also unapologetic about how she feels. She's never embarrassed by it. No, no, she sees it almost like as her her superpower, her strength. Yes. And it, and it reminds me of of like, oh my gosh, I my feelings are so deep and I'm mm-hmm. so ashamed of them, but seeing someone experience the feelings that I experience and mm-hmm. them containing no shame for this person mm-hmm. is like, oh, wait, I don't have to I don't have to like hate myself for going to the depths of despair for this? I, um, yeah, I, so my little story with, uh, Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. How, sorry. I just, Rebecca, how were you introduced to Anne of Green Gables? Well, I think my mom had like the box set, which just, y'all know the box set of all box, which just have the, and, um, my mom had the box set. I think I started reading it in, I think like middle school, like six-ish grade. And um, I devoured them. I just absolutely adored them. And in the final book, I will never forget this. In the final book, there is a death in uh, Rilla of whatever, um, where it's from her youngest daughter's perspective. And there, uh, one of the characters passes away. I was in the car on the way. Yes, I. it was dark. I had the light on. I was reading it on the way home from dance. My mom was driving me home from dance. I start 
sobbing and I had never sobbed before. Like I, I had never, like I was like, <gasps> like it was like an overtaking grief. And I went upstairs. I kid you not, guys. I went upstairs, got the picture, got the book that was before that, which had a picture of the person who died. Like there are all these little kids on the cover and he's one of them. And I like needed to like look at him because I was so heartbroken that this character had died. I had never been moved that strongly before. That was my first like, like really big death that had really upset me. And I'll never be able to separate that. Yeah, because like I had never had a grandparent die or um, that I was like aware of at the time. I had never had a grandparent. Um, My life had been pretty – I was a very personally emotional kid with a lot of inner stuff, but um, something from the outside. But that like external grief, this character being so real and precious Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. And And so it was – really burned into me and then also the animated series which both of us can't find online and um nowhere it's wiped but it also 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 the mini series nowhere to be found i tried so hard to find it it is like it is on this uh, one streaming service that you cannot access if you live in america so you have to get like a vpn or something exactly sponsor us, or you have to buy the dvd box set and then buy a DVD. And I don't player. even I don't even have a DVD player. I um I do. Uh but I'm not gonna buy it. No, and I think the Anne of Green Gables, the the miniseries, like everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Adaptations were I'm, I'm sure someone out there doesn't agree with it, but it is one of the most universally accepted adaptations of a piece of literature ever. Like ever. Like people love that Pride and Prejudice one, but this is even more so. Everyone is like, "That is Anne Shirley." The actress who played Anne, Megan Follows, was just she is Anne. So talented. Like when I read the books, mm-hmm. and I hear and I read what Anne had like her lines, I hear Megan Follows' voice. The way that she, oh Marilla, like it, it's just. It, and also, I like in this little 1991 doc I saw, it's her and she's very actory, but in yeah. a cool way where she's like explaining like uh, Lucy's childhood and how it affected Anne's. And you can tell Megan has a really deep understanding of Lucy. And I, I think you can tell in how she plays Anne that she also understood the history of Lucy, which I just think is so beautiful. Um, she had a lot of respect for the author, you know. Uh, the actor who plays Gilbert, mm-hmm. perfect. He and it's what's wild is like they're so perfectly cast, and he grew up to be like a handsome, tall, soft-spoken man. And what's funny though, a the, handsome, tall, soft-spoken gay man. Yeah, you can, and you can. I didn't realize he was gay actually. Yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan Crombie. So I did actually read an article though about him. Of like why do why was he Gilbert after he passed? They like literally wrote an article, um, and one of them said it was because he was such a good listener, and how mm. he would watch Anne because really that's all Gilbert does is he really just listens and he just his like eyes and the way he would just watch Anne and that's it and that's what we fell in love yeah. with 
And what's funny though is in the books, they talk about how tall and slim Anne is constantly. And Megan just happens to become like a woman who is so petite and so tiny. And then Gilbert turns into a very tall man. It's very sweet. So I I mean, we're we're going a little bit out of order on like what we wanted to talk about. Sorry. But I guess we, so for our listeners, we both read or we both listened to the first three books, Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea, and then Anne of the Island. I did not fully listen to the first Anne of Green Gables, the first book. Mm-hmm. I don't, I love it, but I think it's just like, there's nothing new about it to me. It is so ingrained in you. It's so ingrained. I'm like, and because all the chapters are so episodic, it's like, mm-hmm. oh yes, it's then it's this chapter. And then it's like, oh, yes. yes. And then it's this stuff. Oh, and then it's the hair dye. Oh, and then it's uh, getting your best friend drunk. At, uh... Why is that the one that always comes to mind when I think about it? It's that? because it's horrifying. Like, I think there's something so unique about how messed up that would be, mm-hmm. especially for that time and especially for it being Diana's mother. And also, though, how funny it is. Like, it's truly funny and then rebecca started uh anne of avonlea number two tried number two tried really really hard to get through it but was like well i was going to and then maddie just said don't and i was like you don't have to like you really don't have to no and i think like all of them y'all like they're all great like if you haven't read them you you should read all of them but like number one is so ingrained in you and number two doesn't really serve a purpose and then then number three is incredible number three is my is one of my favorite books of all time Mm -hmm. I will I will go back to Anne of the Island at least once every couple years I think why the first three books contained as themselves are so important is because it's a true character arc. It's like a fully complete character arc of Anne Shirley. And in the first book, you watch her grow from the age of like 11, I think to the age of like 15, Mm. maybe 16 or so. And you see her basically experience girlhood like you you watch her experience girlhood and all the magic and all the 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 highs and the miserable lows of girlhood Anne of Avonlea I think is more like we said episodic teen just sort of hijinks Mm -hmm. and Anne of the Island is really and making the complete journey from a teenager to a a woman. Mm -hmm. And so these three books just sort of contain girlhood to womanhood in these really beautiful, soft, nuanced, funny, devastating ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a huge part of the first book, which I think is something that rarely gets explored in books and TV is the magic of girlhood best friendship. Mm -hmm. 
and Anne's relationship with Diana. I so if y'all don't remember, Anne just hears of Diana. She hears that a little hears, girl lives next door. She hears and she hears Diana's name. And she's just like, Oh, Marilla, do you think that she could ever come to love me? And when they finally meet and they're out in the garden, she's like, swear to me that we will always be best friends and nothing will ever come between us. And one thing I love is I kind of forgot. I'm really glad I re-listened to it because I forgot how magically inclined Diana was as well. Because yeah. I was like, oh yeah, Anne's the silly one. Not silly, but Anne's like fairy tale. And then Diana isn't. And Diana actually like is down she like also I think it, speaks she in just, a very heightened way and she also I think why they work so magically with one another is like Diana needed someone to feed her stories mm-hmm. and to feed her and Anne needed someone to listen to her and so it she needed Diana an audience was, and Diana was always like yes absolutely yeah yes um and i love how i love how obsessed they are with one another i love how much they love one another it is so true to how the the first best friend you ever have that first real like everything be bestie and when Anne, after Anne gets Diana drunk, Diana's mom is like, you're never allowed to play with her again. And Diana cannot look at her, cannot talk to her at school, and then passes her a note, just like this heartfelt, like my soul is breaking and I am so sorry. And just know I will never love anyone as much as I love you, Anne. Like I will never love anyone else as much as I love you. And that is so beautiful and true and it's so and I also I think in that one thing I love so much is you watch you you get to experience like the the small heartbreak that is both of them growing up when Diana gets married to Fred at the wedding Anne is like I've lost you forever. And I think she's leaning into melancholy a little bit in a, in a more self-aware way because she's older. And But I think it's like, oh, wow, like the the true end of of this girlhood friendship and, and how I, devastating that is. And also I have been a bridesmaid four or five times now and I um... – it's it's true there were there was yeah. one specifically we're not in a bad way but she had been so marriage focused our whole life and i knew giving i was giving her away at the wedding as well because i knew her so deeply and i loved her but i also knew this is kind of where she doesn't need me anymore because she's finally getting yeah. what she wanted and mm-hmm. i i am now it's I'm giving her away. And it's true. We talked on the phone, I think, one time after that. And then she just was wow. married. And that's what she always wanted. Um, and that's fine. I, I knew that. But also, it is not always, but it, it does change. It It is the end of um, 
an established relationship. Yeah, and I I think it's it's handled so sweetly and delicately and and in sort of like a handing off of a sense as like as Anne has always romanticized the idea of a husband and marriage and being proposed to. Mm. But then the reality of it, watching her come face to face with her romanticized ideals, then moving into the third book, Anne of the Island, mm. where it's really exploring her relationship with Gilbert. Like that's the most important part, I think, of Anne of the Island is Anne and Gilbert. And watching I, I think Anne not necessarily settling for Gilbert because that's never what she does. It's almost her realizing that reality is is better than her romanticized ideal. Yeah, yeah. And that is like, wow that's what I wish for myself. And I and would, I, I would love to be able to realize reality is better than my romanticized ideal. Well, I think your birthday party was one of those moments. Absolutely. And I think that's like, it's like, Oh, it's about growing up. Like I, that's what, and it's about, it's about female friendship and it's about, uh, and one thing I, cause I read obviously the other ones so long ago, but I do remember Anne and Diana like never on become friends. They're never their no, love for always... each other. Their deep obsession with each other never goes away. And I do think there's yeah. something in female friendships where we are kind of obsessed with each other. You know, and like, it's just we can just do it. We like we don't need as much like you know uh, in person face to face. Exposure, mm -hmm. but yeah. like I'll always be obsessed with you, and you'll always be obsessed with me. And that's just and the and it's like I love that like that girlish obsession never fades. It does take different forms, but I think Diana and and I also love that there's a moment when she's at college where I think Diana's like, well, now you're going to like Priscilla more than me because you're going to college together, and Anna's like, never, no. Like and she's and like, don't you ever say that? No, look at me. Don't you look at me? Don't you don't you talk about my friend that way? And also, like, there's no. And also, I think I love that. Like, Diana isn't that special. Like, Diana, yeah. it, Diana, like, is not. She's not. Who, she's not that. She's not incredibly like intelligent. Diana, she doesn't. She doesn't have like the drive to, to like. She just wants to be a wife and a mother. No, and she's she's perfectly lovely. And just sometimes, like, I, I mean, all my friends are gorgeous and fantastic, but I do think sometimes people are like, I almost like, I'll give an example, Mary, Hail Mary, first Hail Mary yeah. of season two, but yeah. she's just like, Rebecca, when you talk about me to your friends, I think you make me sound like I'm way more amazing than I am. Like, she's like, I think you kind of overhype me. And I'm like, here's the that thing. isn't possible. Your here's the thing. I I think like perhaps maybe if I met Mary outside of your gaze, mm -hmm. I wouldn't feel that way. But because 
I was introduced to Mary and then experienced Mary with you, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, duh. duh. I was like, yes, of, of course I see these things that Rebecca sees. Yeah. She is incredible and amazing. Yes. She is the best person alive. Is she, And she is the funniest and the coolest. And, Mary- and, and the and one thing, uh, like when I was on so much medication um, and texting Rebecca, one of the things that I said is I was like, there's so much power in loving people. Mm-hmm. And being able to, one of the, and superpower is how much she loves and feels and she has so much romance for the world it has so much romance for existing that my it it's just my absolute favorite thing getting to anne of the island where she has to reconcile with her romantic notions and experience the actual romance of her life i and i love that she finally meets like her romantic lead she's been meet, uh, writing for years oh. and years and, and then she's like, oh, he's boring. He's boring. And even his sister is like, yeah, he looks like, like he, he looks more interesting than he is. And then he is. And, and then I'm just like, wow, that's that's brilliant. That's so... But I kind of want to talk about – so the, it's very interesting. Why do you think she could not come to terms – with loving Gilbert. I understand the realization, the clueless share moment at the water fountain. I'm in love with mm. Josh. But why do you think she fought it? That Maybe that's the question. Why did she fight it for so long? I think it was like she had an idea of what romance was going to look like, of what falling in love was going to look like. And it was going to be a star-crossed lovers. She was going to meet someone, and then she would just know, and it uh, and and it would it would be a torrid affair, and it would be he'd be dark and brooding and 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 emotional and and with dark eyes. Mm-hmm. And instead, it was a boy who like annoyed her, yeah, and challenged her, and who she'd known all along and watched grow into a man and who was a playful comrade and who she just hung out with. And how, how is that supposed to be my big sweeping romance when it's so easy and it's, and it's not exciting. It's just. And well, it's, it's and also like he's always loved her, but in a very gentle way, like the fact he gave up a teaching position because he knew Marilla was sick. He knew Anne needed to stay closer to Marilla and he gave up that teaching position and this made his own personal life. He was going to have to go work away farther. It was going to be an inconvenience, but he did that. Yeah. That moment is I think, and that's the, well, I guess I can, we can talk about it a little bit is that's why the first book was so self-contained is it made it so clear. Gilbert did such a, that's, that's like my favorite act of love of the whole series is what he did was took care of her so she could stay with Marilla. And then that's why, so it's like she told the whole story she wanted to in the first book. And then the second it's her just like 
being like, I didn't set myself up to write a sequel. And then the third book, she finds her feet and then is able to like make it come full circle. But also, I mean, here's the thing, guys. If your bestie tells you that they love you and you're not ready yet, that's okay. Like also, also, I really don't think she was, I don't think she was ready to be deeply in love yet. I I don't think. No, no. I, and I think, I think she needed to have like, I I think she needed to, if she had just said yes to Gilbert right away, I don't think she would have ever realized that she really loved him. Mm. Yeah. I think she needed to have the perfect, you know, her ideal man um in oh what's his name it's such a boring roy, name it's roy roy which like that means like king or something yeah and, and he, i think it's like king and handsome him being, or something. i think his name is roy handsome man <laughs> like bella swan yeah exactly he's such um, a bella swan he is and i and what I love, what I love in the third book is like, Anne gets proposed to by this perfect man and she knows it's happening. She, everyone's been talking about it. And the second that he proposes to her, she's like, oh God, no, I, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. And she feels so horrible uh, and and she feels so guilty and she can't like, They've been dating for like three years, basically. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. At this point. And then his sister like sends her a letter afterwards or talks to her afterwards and is like, oh, the same thing happened with another girl. Two other girls. Two other girls. Like he just listened to it last night. This is why it's time and time and time again. And I was like, that is so that's just such a funny specific, but like understandable detail. Mm-hmm. I do. I know Davy is so annoying, mm-hmm. but he does deliver the biggest plot twist ever. The, the most like mic drop line in the entire book is him rambling on. And you're like, Davy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he goes, and did you know Gilbert Blythe is dying? And, and that really, like, that changes. I, I don't know if Anne would have gotten there if Gilbert. I mean, she probably well, would have, no, but I think. I don't it, know. I think, I think she is. I'm just thinking, processing. Um, yeah. But we, it, it's such a traumatic thing. It is something that was written, could have been written in one of her books. I even wonder if I, like, if we went back and looked at everything she wrote as a kid, there might have been a story about someone dying. But I think yeah. it is a moment that finally is as dramatic and yes, horrid that's as so what true. she's always wanted. I think, and I think that's okay if she needs yeah. something. If she needs the man she truly loves to almost she needs die, the drama. She, she needs, needs the that romance. pride and prejudice moment of walking towards yeah. the field to each other, which she does uh, get. Like, and I think like Gilbert knows her so yeah. well. That he didn't pretend to almost die, but I do think he's but also like, not offended. Where he's like, Can he I ask like, you again? Like, and she's like, Yeah. And he's like, Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> like, 
I'm yeah, going to ask like, you again, I and figured. I'm pretty sure this time is a yes, um, yeah. because I almost died, and you're, like, yeah. crying in the moonlight, and this is more yeah. what you <laughs> like. I, I love, I love, love, love their love story. I think it's, like, I think it's, like, probably one of my favorite yeah, like just young contemporary love stories. I, I, and I think it's like, it's just like Anne getting in her own way. But also I think it is the whole thing could, wouldn't have been possible without both of them going on those journeys. Like, I think Gilbert yeah. wasn't ready to get married. I think like, but also no. it's like he's loved her all, like he's loved her all along. And yeah. um, he wasn't ready and she wasn't ready in a different way um, because Anne is so independent. And, um, and yeah, I think it's a, I think, I think it's just like it, it happened. Yeah. It happened all in its, its own time. And it feels like, I don't feel like these characters are bound by like, they, they don't become unrelatable because of the time period that they're in. Like, and I think that's like the best type of love story is like that dynamic it is just human beings interacting. Yeah. And I think like it's missed connections, but in a very mm. relatable way. And I think it's comforting the idea of like, if you are meant to be with someone like truly miscommunications mm. in time can't stop it because I do think sometimes we wonder like oh did I mess this up did I mess this up yeah. and Anne and Gilbert's story is like no you cannot no. stop true love I know we like briefly talked about the mini series just in talking about like Anne as the at Megan follows like just being Anne to us yeah. Anne as an individual but I think Anne as a series the original miniseries is so good because it's so true to the spirit of the film mm -hmm. or it's so true to the spirit of the book. Yes. And the book is, it's incredibly episodic. Each chapter sort of contains a, a situation, some hijinks that very, uh, it's slice of life. Mm -hmm. um, and those, they're just so easy to tune into and watch and love. And Maddie and, are you saying all of this through uh, a filmmaker's, filmmaker's lens. lens? I guess this would te technically be like a, a showrunner's lens. Showrunner's lens. And I yeah. I think um, it just lent itself so well to make TV adaptations. If you're not an audiobook girl or a, or a, um, a live action girl, there is a Japanese animated series that, yes, I don't is, know if you watched the first episode. I did. Isn't I it, did. It is. It is a word. It is for like word. line for line. It is a yeah. perfect. Like yes, the Megan follows is also a perfect interpretation. But if you're wanting it in a very creative way, there yeah. is that first episode that I watched of the Japanese version of Anne of Green Gables is beautiful. I highly suggest. And it goes on, for, on like. Uh, they're all on YouTube and like they, it goes on. The series went on for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Japan loves Anne of Green Gables. No, like 
I don't exactly understand, like know what it is, but in the first, I think, five minutes of this mini doc, that is 44 minutes long, famously. Um, yeah. There, there were like, uh, there was a wedding, a Japanese wedding happening outside of a homestead. They showed a clip of a play all in Japanese in Japan. And then there was a tour being led by a Japanese translator. Like, like there truly is a fascination with they- anime in japan they are obsessed with anne of green gables as they should be as they as everyone should be yeah i will say and we're talking about adaptations and tv adaptations in particular i think that the spirit of anne of green gables is not dark and dramatic mm-hmm. externally at all it's 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 a person's internal um universe in, in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, placed in a very banal sort of mild environment. And that's why, that's the charm of it. That's why it's so funny. And the Anne with an E series that's on Netflix, I think is beautifully shot. I love the aesthetic of it. I think the girl that they cast, I love, I love their casting choice visually i love all their casting choices visually but i think that they miss the mark so sincerely in trying to make anne of green the story of anne and her time in green gables so gritty and so dramatic and so high stakes and dark that it loses its charm almost instantly and so I, I take a, a real affront to the Netflix series. And I think it'd be awesome to watch if it just wasn't based on Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. Because like I just, just don't think it is. A little girl in Trigger Warning oh, Canada. Warning Canada. Yeah. And uh, I think and I think that happens quite often is I think people are like, let's make a show um, an adaptation of something and then they miss the mark, but they make something, but it just yeah. isn't correct. I, I never watched I, it. I never had it. I just knew it wasn't the vibe. And I, I think even like trailers started and I scrolled away. I will say the thing that I, I will give it its credit for is there was like a whole generation of young girls who this is their first introduction to Anne and they've never experienced the books but they love this show. Like mm-hmm. my uh, friend of the podcast, Kathleen, um, her daughter Paige loves Anne with an E. Oh, I love that. And her friends love Anne with an E. If that gets eyes and ears on Anne, mm-hmm. I think that's great. I also think And that's so great. those are my thoughts. I would love in, you know, a couple decades maybe someone else to take a crack at it. I think if like, if there was any director out right now who I think could adapt Anne of Green Gables, I think Amy Sherman Palladino, like Gilmore Mm -hmm. Girls, Mm -hmm. I think she could do, I think she could do Anne of Green Gables. I think she gets charm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like it runs through all of her characters being like a little bit for their own good, but not apologizing for it and then being yeah. very snappy. I think it would be a divisive adaptation. I don't think everyone yeah. would like it, 
Um, no. But yeah. I honestly, and I think Greta Gerwig would do a great job. I was going to say Greta. I, um, but I, that, and- that would be, if she wanted to do TV, but I, I don't think Anne could be a movie. I think it should be TV. It's so episodic. It is. It's a, you so need like episodic. like the the slow growth. Even if like you focus on just the romance between her and Gilbert in a film, it like no. You need you need it needs to be TV. Yeah. Um. So to close out, I I think we we should talk through our lonely. You know, as always, our lonely girl lens. Yeah. Now, when we talked about this before the episode started um i said i we each have a pitch for the character that we believe to be the aside from anne the Mm -hmm. the honorary like lonely girl our pitch for the honorary lonely girl and i am so fascinated to know what yours is do you want to go first or do you want me to go first um i'll go first Okay. It's Matthew Cuthbert. Mine's Rachel Lynn. Ooh. I mean. And I think I agree. I agree with you. And I. I agree with you. I think they're both lonely girls. I think honestly, though, the reason why I forget about Matthew is because unfortunately he does pass away in the first book. Yeah. I. He, he very much, my grandfather, my mom's dad was a farmer and he was very soft-spoken and my mom's mom was actually a little bit more like direct and sharp and they very much, like, I remember reading the books and thinking like, oh, that's, that's Peepaw and uh, very soft-spoken, very gentle. um, And he was a farmer in Iowa. So like literally was him. And um, my dad or my grandfather wasn't like chronically shy, but like I, I do think there is some kind of social anxiety. He could be diagnosed with being like some kind of shyness. Like he, I think he's definitely on the spectrum. Yeah, I think Matthew is totally on the spectrum. And I think like could have benefited from just some very gentle therapy and uh, just like, and I just, I, I also just love that this brother and sister just live together. And they're like, yeah, it didn't work out. Whatever. You're my best friend. So he just, I think, and I think like Anne being such a different kind of lonely girl and entering his life and how like his love for her makes him like conquer his social anxieties. Like he goes into the store to buy her a dress with puff sleeves. And like, he was so nervous. I think he like bought a rake first because he didn't know how to ask to have a dress made. And it's just I like, but I think that the I love, know. like the love, the love, like the love, loving people is so powerful. And and I think like it made him push through all these uncomfortable things that he had never pushed through. Like he didn't get married, I'm sure, because he was too shy. Like this has, yeah. his anxiety has held him back his whole, whole life. But this girl almost like loving him whether he liked it or not just like I think I think by the time she arrived to the farm I think he was already like head over heels in love with her absolutely um yeah so that's that's my nomination um he's he's just one of the greatest characters and he is kind of easy to forget because he doesn't say anything I love that and I totally agree my pitch for Rachel Lind is Mm -hmm. 
I love, so like she's on the opposite spectrum of lonely girl yes. for me where she is so terrified of becoming insignificant mm -hmm. that she inserts herself and her opinion into every single aspect of this town and this city. And to me, that is a direction I easily like move towards if I'm not like my healthiest self is like maintaining a sense of like gaining validation from like control and like knowing everything about everyone and everyone knowing my opinion about something. And I really love the arc of, I love the arc of Rachel Lynn. Like I love that her, what happens is her husband all of her children leave the home, her husband dies. And so she lives with Marilla and raises Davy and Dora and softens and becomes like, I love seeing Rachel Lynn learn to love Anne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's a mistake that we both choose, chose two people who become non-traditional foster parents like yeah. Rachel obviously wouldn't have been introduced if um, Matthew wouldn't have died. Um, yeah. And so I think like he kind of need, they needed to have, um, I don't know. I think they needed to explore that loneliness just in a different way. It's kind of both of mm -hmm. them are like, you're going to love me whether you like it or not. Like exactly. It's, it happens two different ways. Um, Okay, and y'all feel wow. free to write in with any of your feel nominations. Feel free to write in because obviously we're gonna have a book all around like the loneliest girl, like one of yeah. the pillars of lonely girls. Obviously, there are so many. The like we didn't get to talk girl. about Phil. Um, that oh. it's just Phil's the best. Um, but I think I think that's what like there's so many. Uh, Lucy Vaughn Montgomery is so good at crafting these really interesting interesting variations of 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 the lonely girl i think that's why this book is so lonely girl it's because it's not just one lonely girl mm -hmm. kind of hanging out in the ether it's like a bunch of different lonely girls like that old lady oh i don't you didn't read anne of avonlea really but the one of the arcs in Anne of Avonlea, the love story in that is like this old woman who this old like widower moves into this home. Um, and Anne, because she has, you know, this beautiful doe-eyed student um, that she loves, who has a father who's a bachelor, mm -hmm. an old bachelor, Anne is able to like get this old bachelor and this older woman together. Mm -hmm. She's like a matchmaker, basically. She's yeah. Emma in this one. Uh, the child, or, or like the, the, the boy that she teaches in school, he's such a lonely girl. This woman in the woods is such a lonely girl. Phil is such a lonely girl. And the, the one woman, Janet or something, who had to wait like 18 years. Yes. Yes. Um, Even that like lonely girl. 
So lonely. One of my favorite, I think, most romantic sentences is this one woman didn't realize that her beau was waiting 18 years to propose because his mom was a terrible person and he had to wait for her to die. And it's like the night after his mom's funeral, it says he walked straight through the hydrangeas and just walked up and was like, will you marry me? And he had been like waiting to do. I love the idea of a man plowing through the hydrangeas, plowing, like not caring. Plowing through flowers. Yeah. Like I can't, I don't have time for paths. What a lost boy. What a lost boy. Oh, what a lost boy. This is one of those. I think this is the first thing that we've talked about mm-hmm. where I would unquestionably recommend this. I think you, you are missing out on something if you don't read Anne of Green Gables at one point in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think wildly somehow, and it has inspired so many different kinds of adaptations and whatnot that um, I think there is a way to get your Anne fix, whether it's through the animated series, whether it's through uh, audiobook audiobook or Rachel McAdams reads the first one. And uh, she's very good. And it's funny because I always forget she's Canadian. And she'll say, like, sorry. or like Trigger warning. Trigger warning Canada. Trigger warning Canada. But it's like she gets to, like, drop, like, her fixing her Her sorries and whatnot. Yeah. And it'll slip fully fully Canadian. Yeah. It's really cute. But anyways, that's a great one. Megan Follows actually reads an abridged version of some of the books so if you want I I didn't listen to that because I couldn't do abridged but anyways um Maddie I love you so much Rebecca I love you so much I am I'm so excited I'm so excited to um continue continue busting through new fun lonely girl things um if you guys need more of a lonely girl fix from uh, us together, you can check out Lonely Girls Podcast mm-hmm. on TikTok and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you want to specifically find me, you can find me at Turner Madeline on Instagram and at Madeline Turner on TikTok. And if you're wanting to find me, it is Rebecca Botter on Instagram and Botter Rebecca on TikTok. Just that wow. wasn't intentional. Rebecca Botter was taken on TikTok, so I just did the opposite <laughs> of what Maddie did. Um, um, this has been wonderful. Uh, and as always, Lonely Girls, remember to stay lonely, but not alone. Bye. Bye. Love you. Love y'all. Love.